in His ways. So today, as I said, I will introduce and talk about the Scripture, tell us on one of the hardest things to do, and keeping each other accountable in what He has laid out for us. That's never easy. That's a struggle that we will go through, not just in this congregation, but in our families if they are Christians. We're all in progress, trust me. None of us are finished yet. But um, I say this is one of the most difficult sections of loving one another because correcting a brother or sister is not easy. Think about correction this way. When a parent loves their child and the parent is preparing dinner and their child is... um, they've continued to come up to the stove and the parent is boiling a hot water pot and the child continues to try to grab it. The parent keeps pushing them away. But when they finally get their hand on the pot, the parent has no choice but to correct that child like they hadn't done before. Because they can scald themselves, they can hurt themselves. And in the same way, some of our sins have that hindrance on our ability to walk and glorify the kingdom. And then there's other sins that are done in private. And I'll use this example. If the kid continues to eat the cookies in the cookie jar and the parent doesn't see it, and they're taking little candies out of the cupboard, and the parent doesn't see it, they're going to suffer their own consequences eventually with a bellyache. Right? So, should there have been... Somebody, I, I think if you've experienced that, and I've experienced that, eating too many sweets and having the bellyache, I wish Kara would have been there to correct me and say, hey, you're having a little too much here, right? It helps in that way. <clears throat> but are we? In today's society, I've also seen how family members and families, they don't want correction, period. We continue in this society, to say, mind your own business. It takes a humble heart to allow others. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what's the scripture say? That's what I wanted to look at here in 1 Corinthians 5. But at the same time, as I've said, I always look for what the Torah says as well. And you guys are in 1 Corinthians 5. But in Leviticus 19, verse 17, it says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, neighbor. Which means we are to call and talk with our neighbor. We are to live with them. And we can even correct them if they're doing something wrong. I have known farmers that have helped each other and said, That's not the right thing to put on those grapes. That's not the right thing to put on that cotton. You need to try this. I've found this, right? You're not correcting them. You're loving them by helping them to do something better than what they did the previous year. year. So if you have knowledge, share it. Help one another. Help them grow in that grace and that knowledge. So right there in Leviticus 19, 17, we see that piece where we have the ability to reprove our brother and our sister. Alright, 1 Corinthians 5 lays it out perfectly. There's somebody in this congregation that is committing a sin and it's out there for everybody to see. And Paul lays it out here. It is actually reported in verse 1 that there is immorality among you. 
an immorality of such a kind as does not exist, even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. You see, there's a heart of you. You see this in Matthew 5. Those who mourn shall be comforted. Should we not mourn for our brothers and our sisters who are acting wickedly and doing evil, or even those who are committing a smaller sin? We want them to inherit the riches of heaven. So we should mourn for them and go to them in a mourning process. That shows you. Don't go to them proudly. I'll get to that in a little bit. So that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged from who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? Why would you deliver the person so that this spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus? That rings to the passage where Jesus says, pluck out your eye so that your whole body doesn't go into hell. It rings true in that same way that we should love our brothers and our sisters and try to correct their path if they're going down the wrong path. Picking up in verse 9 of this chapter, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letters not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the, with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of this world. There's too much of that going out of on out there in that darkened place. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother or any so-called sister. If he or she is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Are we called to exhort and to reprove and to encourage one another and correct when they're wrong? Are we going to let them grab a hold of that hot steaming pot of sin? But those who are outside, God judges them. Remove the wicked one from inside your family. I hear all too often people in the church say, you're not to judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to help you. That's what I'm called to do. This passage here has seen that. You see it written in that passage. So are we called to correct and hold one another accountable? I've said to you that the Scriptures, the Torah and the Scriptures, they all give us a guideline on where to live. And if we step outside, hey, the brothers and sisters in this church may let you wander outside a little bit, but we shouldn't let them wander too long. Or they're going to get used to that. Let's look at the attitude and relationships. If we're going to correct each other, we've got to have relationship with one another. Trust me whenever I say, if you try to correct somebody you don't have a relationship with, it's not going to impact them at all, and they may actually tell you off, right? But if you have a good foundation and you have a good relationship, they're likely to listen. All right, let's look at the one that's corrected. What kind of behavior should they have? What kind of heart should they have? 
Well, in Proverbs 3, it tells us here, in verse 11, My son, my daughter, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as the father corrects the son in whom he delights. Now, if you listen to a reproof, that person who you're having to talk to, if they have an open heart, they may gain understanding. It goes on in this passage. How blessed is a man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. That's what we want for one another. We want everyone to gain understanding. We want everybody to walk in this faith. We want everyone to gain the riches in heaven. But you can't do it if you don't have a humble heart. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Adonai. I'm telling you right now, if you are the the correctee or the corrected, listen to the person. One thing that I've always told care, if somebody comes to me, and this happens to be true, um, I will take a step back. Because even if I disagree with them and they're wrong, which they're not usually wrong, there's a piece of truth and they're trying to help me as a brother in Christ. And so, again, I try to correct my own behaviors. I try to correct my walk because they're loving me. They're talking with me. As I've shared with you before, Darissa said, use three passages of Scripture and then go with that and you'll have so much more. Because I used to look up 15 or 20 verses and you guys would do a Bible quiz every time I was up here. It's been a lot better since I went to just three main points. Okay, so you have the corrected. They need to have a humble heart. It says right there in the scripture that they should be listening if you want wisdom. However, for the correct corrector, you also need to be seek justice, do righteousness, and walk humbly. If you come to your brother and sister and you've been mourning them, right? Matthew 5 points out, Messiah says, In the Beatitudes, have a heart of mourning. If you've seen them walking down this path, should you not be mourning for that person? Should you not have a way of gentleness, a heart of mercy, and a pure heart of God when you go to them, when you try to correct them? Trust me, if you do that, it's going to open the door. It's going to open that conversation. So again, the corrector needs to be Messiah-like. Messiah corrected the woman at the well by her own behaviors, her own past. He knew her history. But yet he gently came before her and started to talk with her. Those in the church, he didn't do that as much. He corrected them harshly. He turned over their tables because they were in his house, his father's house, and they were doing evil things. There are different ways of going about talking to one another in this correction piece. But most of all, we, that person that's going, may you have a heart of purity. I have truly missed working with my children in class two, and they're coming back in here, and we're going to work on something, and you guys are going to think about, sometimes we just need an attitude correction, right? An attitude adjustment, as my dad used to call it, and that happens. However, Messiah, let's move on to the main point today. Matthew eighteen twelve through 20, or 15 through 20, really. 
Messiah, it's so interesting that he puts it like this because in mental health, we all um, want a certain avenue. And he lays it out here on how to correct one another in the Lord. And he says in verse 15, If your brother sins, you individually, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won the brother back. Okay, Don't do this by text. Don't do this by an email. Do not do this by a phone call. Do it in person. You have a relationship with them. Go to them. Talk to them. It doesn't have to go any farther, but you guys can have a great discussion. You really can. If you're within driving distance, make sure you're doing that. They live across the country. You may have to do it by Zoom or you may have to do it by phone. You may not have a choice. But if they don't listen to you and you continue to pray for them, because if you're not praying for them, you're not loving them either. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Okay. So in other words, still do this in private. Don't do it publicly yet. But take another brother with you. Go talk to him. Love on them. Tell them you're here to love them. Continue to pray for them. This is one of the hardest pieces of living life is correcting or working through situations with a brother or sister. 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay? Just what Paul was pointing out in 1 Corinthians 5, that's what this passage from our own master says. But no, there's difference in sins, some of private, that you may have only been allowed to know because that person's allowed you into their life, but you still shouldn't allow them to continue in that sin. But you can work through it privately, possibly if they're willing to work with you on that. As I said before, I have these lovely kids in class too, and I haven't been able to see them over the past few weeks. So I asked Kara and I, um, to bring them back in here. Did you guys sing today with Pastor Jeff? Yeah? Okay. Well, you know what? A few weeks ago, Miss Hannah was talking to me, and she said, Hey, you, didn't, you haven't done that one teaching because of COVID and everything else. Um, about what Moses did with the water and what he did with the manna. And um, I thought this would fit perfectly because as I do this with the children, I want you to listen to what I'm talking to them about. But you can hear the attitude of Israel in the desert when God just delivered them out of Egypt. And so we're going to go do something for just a few minutes right out here, but you listen as I describe this, and you tell me if you shouldn't be correcting your children, or maybe you shouldn't be correcting a loved one who takes an attitude with God. Because can we still struggle and ask God questions? Absolutely! But should we grumble against God? That's unlikely. We should not grumble, but we can ask questions. We can grumble on ourselves and not like our life. But think about everything that Job went through. Think about God's answers with Job. And so, my class, are you guys ready to go? Okay. Miss Kara is going to do something that I asked her while we're out.
So in my class, come with me. All right. So Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, right? And they had all their belongings. Did they have a lot of stuff? Would they have jewelry? Yeah, they would have jewelry. Maybe they took some water with them, right? Do you think they were happy that they came away from their homes and they were no longer enslaved? I would be happy. Wouldn't you? You no longer have to listen to these Egyptians. But then, I have to yell so they can hear me. Okay? But then, there was no water. And they started to thirst. Now, what would happen if you actually had days and days of no water? Would you be thirsty? Do you think you would start to grumble against God? I think I, they did. The Bible says that they started to grumble against God. And they were like, oh, where's our water? We had so much water in Egypt. Right? And they said, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. Is that a good attitude? Is that a bad attitude? I think that's a bad attitude. But in the story, it says they were in a land of Mara. Okay? And Moses got a tree, and he picked it up. But first, so they're going through the desert, right? Wait, I forgot a piece. They were going through a desert, and they get to this water, and they're thirsty. And they go to try a drink of water. Let's try this. You guys have have little cups, okay? All right. Just a little bitty sip. That'll do you. Okay? Now tell me, what's this water taste like? Does it taste good? Is it gross? You didn't try it. Did you try it? I did. You did? Is it good or is it bitter? It's bitter. It's bitter. Oh, they're thirsty. They're saying, God, why did you bring us out here to kill us? Right? Oh, horrible water. Horrible water. And then what ends up happening is Moses is told by God, pick up the tree and throw it in there. Woo! Into the water. Okay? And then, the water becomes sweet. Now, the water is in there. Get your cups. You ready? Let's try this water. Tell me. Is this water better? Much better, isn't it? So why would they be complaining? They shouldn't complain anymore. Now they have plenty of water, huh? Let's go back over here. All right. Make sure you drink all that water. Come on. Come with me while you drink that. So they're going back, and they moved away from there. God gave them the water, right? Now they're starting to run out of food. Now, God gave them water. Do you think they should continue to complain? How do, how do you think they should ask God for food? 
Nicely. I agree with you. Do you think they ask nicely? No. No? Okay, finish your water. Put it in there. Put the cups in there. So they're walking back through. And they come to a point, And they go to sleep. And they're like... And then they wake up. Now you have to help me here. We're going to pretend to go to sleep. So their attitudes were horrible, weren't they? For the water. Okay. Let's lay down. And we don't have any food in our belly. Oh, and they wake up the next... Okay, lay down. <laughs> oh. They wake up and... If you don't have food in your belly and you don't have food in your home, I know we're Westerners. We all have food in our home. But they didn't. And Moses is walking around. Do you think they complained again? I think they did. They woke up. They said, Moses! You brought us out here to kill us again! We don't have any food! Your God's going to just let us die here. He brought them through the Red Sea. They're crazy. They saw all this. I tell you, I think they needed some correction, but what did God say? He said, from then on out, you guys know this story. What did He give them while they were in the desert? Do you remember? What's it called? Hannah, you eat it all the time at home. You love it. It's called what? No, it's called? Manna. Manna. And so, they woke up the next morning. And there was manna all over the ground. Wasn't there? Now, do you like this kind of manna? You love it, don't you? You've learned to love that. And so, God said, pick up a portion and you can have the food every day. It will be like this every day. Now, so they would go and they would pick up. And I'm going to tell you guys. Pick up five, and there'll be five more next the next day. If you have more in your family, pick up five for each person. Okay? But today I want you guys to pick up five and go back to your parents. <clears throat> pick up five. You guys are such humble kids. I love it. All right. Now go back to your parents. Pastor Mike and Miss Robin's going to hate it, but I'm going to say go ahead and eat. Now, some people, they would pick up what they were supposed to. Some of them didn't believe God. They picked up more. So I have four. I have five. And they were like, who else around? No way. Okay. I'm picking up six, seven, eight, nine. They would pick up so many. Our Father loves us in heaven. Okay, get this. He corrected them because... The next day, there would be more. And what was left over, they would eat the five and it would nourish their bodies. What was left over? Woo! You ever have stinky food in your fridge? This became stinky. Okay? God corrected them with stinky food. So, God gave them the manna. He gave them what they needed in life. He gives us what we need in our life. And yet, we still struggle with our trust in Him. So, Miss Kara, can you take them back in there and let them eat more? Here's more manna. You can take it in there with Miss Kara. Okay. 
I miss you girls. But make sure you get your stickers. You're welcome. Our life sometimes needs an attitude adjustment. I learned the hard way when I was in college that just the way I asked questions in class, it seemed like I was trying to be authoritative and ask the wrong questions the wrong way. Some may say in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Jesus says, Do not judge unless ye want to be judged the same way. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, those who are out there who are in here. We all should want to be judged according to the Scriptures. Don't go outside. There's going to be a lot of stuff outside the Scriptures. That's just life. But according to the Scriptures, we should want our brothers and sisters to love us and hold us accountable. To stay within these bounds. So I learned that there is a way to ask questions in private, in the classroom with more people. And I also learned that if I give a little bit of background in why I'm asking the questions, it wasn't disrespectful anymore. Because somebody had brought that to my attention. There is a behavior of sin that's private, right? And there's a behavior of sin that's public. We can't allow public sin to take place in the church. There's going to be struggles between marriages. There's going to be struggles that are private. And the closest will be able to walk through that journey of life with those people. I will tell you this, my brothers and sisters, especially in this congregation, Dennis Prager said something that I listened to over the past week. It was one of his podcasts. It's not a sin, but it's definitely, he said, it's a moral obligation. And I'll tell you this. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to try to correct you. But if you have a family and you are raising them, and you are the sole provider for that family, you have a moral obligation to get life insurance. Because if something happens to you, then the congregation is going to try to fill in what we can. But we cannot meet those financial pieces. And so you have a moral obligation to get that. We also have attitude adjustments every once in a while. Like I shared with you earlier. Those are things that we can deal with. That's not a big, as big of a deal. But over my years as being your pastor since 2007, I have lived together with you and I have seen us grow. And I am so looking forward to next week talking about encouragement because you guys encourage me in the growth that you're taking at this point. Going back to this week though, living with family, not just you guys, but even amongst my own family, I have seen... Sin that is private, and I have seen sin that is public. I have had to deal with stuff over the phone um, at times with my own personal family. Um, It's interesting that they hold me more accountable, and they hold me at a higher... uh, Which is fine, because I'm a pastor, and they know that that's what I want to do, is glorify the kingdom of God. But they don't want to talk to me all the time because they know that some things that they're making choices in is sinful. 
And so the last person they want to get a phone call from sometimes is me. But yet, for some reason, they expect that phone call from me. And so I appreciate, and I know I'm doing something right, because it's not going to be easy. Sometimes our relationships with those family members, sometimes the relationships in this congregation, they're going to be hindered for a period of time. But hopefully, because we're calling each other to accountability and we want to work with one another, those relationships in the future will be much stronger than allowing that person to continue in their sin. I have talked to people who have dealt with alcohol in the past. I have worked with people that are making tough decisions and living together. And I've called them out on it if they're walking and saying that they're a Christian or brother. I have seen people open their homes to people that need a place to live and who were living together and said, nope, you need to come live with me and the other person can still continue to live in that apartment. But until you get it right, you have to be the example because you have no idea who you're impacting and who's watching. Watch how you approach the living God. He will. He wants us to love one another. He will correct you if you walk and you're all high and mighty upon your, your um, pedestal. He will knock you down. And He will humble you. And trust me when I say, if you see somebody that's walking in sin and saying that they don't need to correct it, get away. Because God will get a hold of them. I promise you that. I have even had to stop eating and drinking with certain people because they have told me, and it has hurt me in the past, And it has hindered our relationship on this side. But I know on that side it will be mended. Because they have said to me, if I'm wrong, and that is a sin, I'll ask God for forgiveness. When I've pointed it clearly out in the Scriptures. That's okay. I'll turn them over and let God deal with them at that point. But thank God I have not seen that in this congregation. I've seen people walk away from this congregation because they know they're in sin, but they haven't continued in this congregation. Our family here and what we do here is strive to honor God, and it's hard. And this, this piece is one of the hardest. But if we love one another, if we walk humbly before God, and we show mercy and we continue to forgive, because Jesus said, not just seven times, but 77 times seven, and we pray for one another, then those relationships should be able to sustain each other's correction and also walking. Again, not everything's a sin, but sometimes it's just looking out for the person if you've seen a certain behavior in the future that causes that. A hindrance. So, as I conclude on this piece of holding each other accountable and correcting one another, just want to say, walking with you guys over the past 14 years has been a humbling experience, has been a learning experience. 
And I believe in the next 14 years, we'll continue to build those strong bonds of love through Christ, our Messiah, if we look to His Scriptures and filter all that we can and let Him curve out our rough edges and walk with one another before the Lord. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father in heaven, this journey of life is 